the number one in the Baptist hymnal. And, and songs like this, Worthy is the Lamb, you know, God, you are amazing. It just connects us to what God's doing in heaven. And we're, we're immediately, as a, as a body of Christ, just joining with the same song that's going on eternally. And our hearts are just moving with that. And, and it's just absolutely glorious. And so praise God for that. Praise God for the chance to join with thousands upon thousands, 10,000 by 10,000, the 24 elders and all the creatures and all of heaven forever and ever saying, you know, worthy and honor and glory and dominion are yours, Lord. And it's yours, Lord, forever and forever. And then they all just shout, amen. Man, they're like going crazy about that, though. They're, they're definitely a little more um, jubilant than we are. And so, I mean, they're just excited about this whole thing. And so... Um, God, thank you for heaven, and thank you for um, bringing a taste of heaven to us. And I just pray that our hearts are vitalized toward that and toward what, what he is doing in us. I was, um, I was really, and there's sometimes you have no idea of how God's going to put together what he puts together. And um, in the first chapter of the book of Colossians, where we are, there's a verse that's, I mean, it could be hard unless you, unless you hear stories like Jeff Brown's. And, and then you just start to think, wait a second, you know what? I mean, what if, we, what if we read a verse like this and go, you know, I don't theologically fully get what he means. Like, what's this whole salvation thing? Aren't we secure in Jesus and all that kind of stuff? And um, I don't know. I, I just, I think the answer to that is, yes, we are extraordinarily secure in Christ. But in Colossians 1.23, I mean, we've just gone crazy about Jesus. We have just gone crazy, and we have it. I, I hope we have but Paul, in his writing to the church at Colossae, has just gone crazy about the idea that the name of Christ is going all over the world. And it's just incredible to them. And he says, you know, this, this gospel of Jesus has so grabbed the hearts of people that it's a worldwide movement. And oh, by the way, church at Colossae, you're in that movement. And then he talks about that for a while. And then for the last eight verses, we've been talking about why the gospel is a worldwide movement and it's because of the the greatness of Jesus Christ and he goes on about the greatness of Jesus Christ and why Jesus is great to us and then he says this gospel that so moves you it is it is unbelievable in your life and then and then there's this if word and and the Greek word could be translated depending upon what Bible version you're reading the word could be in as much or as or if or indeed, because of, and, and he's kind of just saying here, and what I'm reading from right now just says, look, you've got all this greatness in God. You have all this wonder in God. And if you continue in your faith, this is what's going on. You're established and firm, not moved from the hope that held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard. It's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And, and Paul, I, Paul, I'm a servant of this gospel. And I, I, don't, I don't know, I, was, I could not believe um, what Jeff shared in his story. Uh, it wasn't a story, it was his life. And a friend that literally stepped into a plane on his behalf and gave his life on his behalf. Um, I, I have a couple of Memorial Day traditions that happen sometime over the weekend. Um, one of those doesn't happen every year just because I've now read it quite a few times. But I love to read um, The Greatest Generation. It's just such a, a humbling book. And if you haven't read this book, I would encourage you to, to download a copy or purchase a copy and just be grateful for the sacrifices that are so minimal in my age group and down and so incredible 
in, in many of our senior saints that make up this room and just how our nation became such a great nation and maybe why we're struggling to sustain that greatness. And so uh, it's just one of the traditions that I enjoy reading. I also, um, every year, will just at some point sit down and watch Saving Private Ryan, just a little personal moment, but I will watch that and just be thankful for sacrifice. And you've already heard me. I have so many family members that are military, family members who have literally laid down their life in service of our country, um, a brother who's currently active duty, um, just, you know, very involved in, in both of the places that we have been at war in the last probably 12 years now. It's amazing. And so um, I just have such a depth of gratitude. And I think just for that film, it just brings me to a level of sacrifice. And I started thinking about that film. And I've always struggled to use this line in this film. But and isn't it ironic that we're at Colossians 1.23 and I'm going to watch um, Saving Private Ryan this week and then Jeff tells his story. And this, this may go somewhere for you in a minute because I have a sentence that I think is in your notes. Your, your actions, here's what you should know. They don't produce your salvation, but they sure as doggone well will display the fruit thereof. Your actions do not produce what has happened in you and how Christ has formed his life in you, but they will drive a stake in the ground for the people around you as to whether or not you have come to know him, him being Jesus Christ. And, and, I, and I love the, the ending. I, I, you know what? If you haven't watched Saving Private Ryan, I don't feel guilty at this point for um, telling you the ending of the movie because, doggone, it's been out for 12 years now. So I'm, don't feel like I'm stealing your thunder. But the basic premise of the film is that a group of United States Marines go in search of a brother. And if you've seen this, I'm sorry for belaboring this, but you've got to understand to get to the end. They go searching for a brother whose other brothers, and I believe there were three total or four, I don't remember which, but the, all the other brothers have been killed within a few days of one another, and they want to spare the one brother. And so they bring this troop of, of special forces men to scatter throughout greater Germany and to find Private Ryan. So the story is built around that, and there's so many incredible ones, and I've heard it. We have World War II vets in this room that could clarify this for me, but I've talked to a lot in my prior church, and they said this is one of the most realistic films that we've seen, incredibly painful film to watch, and, uh, and just it walks you through that journey of, of Private Ryan. And to make a long three-hour movie short, gets down to the end of the film and, and, and Private Ryan, or, or John Miller, Captain John Miller is played by Tom Hanks. Captain John Miller leads the group that goes across the country and Captain John Miller and his group actually get Private Ryan where he belongs with great sacrifice, including Captain John Miller's life. And this is what makes it super ironic for me because Susan Stepdad, the United States West Point graduate lifetimer, his name is... John Miller, which is really freaky for me right now. And her brother, who's in the Army, is John Miller. And so this is kind of personal. But Captain John Miller in the movie, did y'all follow all that? So not the same guy, okay? But still, his name. And so anyway, that was a diversion I shouldn't have made. Captain John Miller has walked all the way through this sacrifice. They're crossing this bridge to freedom. And there's this incredible battle that goes on with the German troops. It is clear in that moment that John Miller is not going to live. And he just stands before Private Ryan... And he has this conversation with him. And I don't like the words he used because I don't think they're theological astute, but they sure are powerful. He says with with his dying breath, earn this. 
I, I can't believe your story because I don't know that your friend was able to speak to you, but I would imagine there's a weightiness to the grace gift that God has given you because you no longer just live for yourself, Jeff. And I think that in this movie scene, you actually had a real-life encounter, which amazed me to hear this. In this movie scene, Private Ryan is standing in this waiting moment saying, earn this, how do I do this? How do I, to go biblical, how do I fight the good fight? How do I live as if someone has laid down a significant sacrifice for me? How do I live when I've watched a literal person give their life for me and I'm going to walk across this bridge of freedom and somehow I'm going to walk out the rest of my days and I'm going to live in a manner worthy for us as believers of Jesus Christ, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to live in a manner worthy of the sacrifice. And I think, I think John Miller was saying in more words, I want you to live worthy. I want you to live with honor. I want you to live with dignity. I want you to live in a profound manner. I do not want you to cheat this life. You roll down to the end of the film, and I had this on video, and I don't think it played out. In fact, I'm looking at it, it did not. And it's such a powerful moment, so your imagination will have to go there. Or, or you know, if you don't like blood and stuff, do not watch this film. But, you know, if you just go to the end. It's extraordinarily painful film. But at the end of the film, there's this older gentleman standing, and, and he, he walks to his family. He's walking up to one of the burial grounds in Europe, and he's just... It's amazing because he starts to hug his wife and children. He's been very stoic the whole time. And he breaks down crying and he just begins to say, have I lived well? Have I earned this? And then he starts to ask really practical questions. Have I been a good dad? Have I been a great father? Have I been a person of integrity and character? Have I lived on this planet? And, and And then the scene just becomes extraordinarily potent. As he stands before a white cross in a field filled with white crosses. And he turns and snaps to attention and salutes the burial ground of Captain John Miller. And I thought about that scene in light. So there's the ending for those of you who don't want to watch a bloody movie. There's, there's the powerful movie in a nutshell, but there's a more powerful moment for us. When we just stop and we pause as followers of Jesus and we deal with a tough verse. I think this is a theologically challenging verse. If it's not, you really like works and you're proud that you can honor God by the good things you do, which is the antithesis of the rest of the chapter. The rest of the chapter is you've got nothing but evil. Your evil behavior has separated you from God. You bring nothing good to the table. You don't bring your heroic efforts and you haven't been good enough to please God. And if you're sitting in the room thinking, I want to earn this before God, I want to do favor before God, you've missed the entirety of the gospel. The entirety of the gospel is that the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient that the cross of Jesus Christ is glorious, that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is amazing, the redeeming work of Jesus Christ is overwhelming, the justifying work of Jesus Christ has set you once and forever before him, made whole and complete, and get this, there is no accusation that flows against you. So when you start to ask those heavy questions, Jesus Christ steps up in the midst of your life and says, it is me living this out through you. It is me fleshing this out for you. It is me helping you go. And then, and then after hearing all of that, Paul says, oh, by the way, if, if you endure, Colossians 1.23, if you press forward to the end, if you carry this whole thing out, this is what I proclaim to you. If you don't shift from the hope of the gospel... If you make yourself a servant of the gospel, then, then, then you'll know that all of that was true to you. And I, I think that's where we just get a little bit confused. The gospel is not a nice prayer we prayed a long time ago, and now Jesus is off somewhere. The gospel consumes. 
The gospel, here, here's what, I, I believe the Bible actually believes this, and I believe G, teaches this, and I believe Jesus actually believes this. He, he actually, this is going to sound simple, and, and this is a good moment for you to amen, not out loud, but in your heart. I think Jesus actually believes that his gospel and his cross will transform lives. I, I, I know you're just kind of going, that's our mission statement. No, no. I actually believe he believes that the gospel will complete, have a complete indwelling us and will change everything. It will change our view of life. It will change our spending. It will change how we invest ourselves. It will change where we're standing at the end of our life and we're just standing at the end and we're just, we're not hoping this because somehow we wanted to make it to John Miller. We're hoping this because we know that the end of life will stand before an incredible savior. And there's only two words that we long to hear from him. We just really want to hear him say, well done. And if you want to add a few words to that, you have been a great, faithful servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And your heart has bloomed toward that gospel and it's changed everything. You see, here's, here's just a sentence that I think you should capture today. Your actions, get this, get this in light of this verse. They don't produce salvation, but they sure do prove your faith. Which means it's pretty hard to sit in a, I guess, here's, it's pretty hard for you to sit in the middle of a life that has no reflection of Jesus Christ and say, yeah, I'm in. I prayed, prayed, I prayed a prayer and I was eight. It's been different. Nothing's changed at all. Nothing has changed in my life since that moment. But I'm secure in Jesus. Well, I would just ask you to ask a question about that. Because, I mean, I, I, just, I, read the Bible, I read the Bible and I read a group of people who said there is this narrow road and there is this God-glorifying path and there is this unbelievable passion and there is this willingness to forsake everything for the gospel and, and there is this passion for holiness and there is desire to make change in this world and there is a hunger for, for social needs to be met. And you, I mean, we could just go on and on. Relationships should be whole. And when you're sitting in a room like this and you're worshiping God, scripture is so clear about this, and you are broken with brothers and sisters, like it actually says, would you just come to the altar? And then here's just a thought, stop worshiping because you're not worshiping to start with. You're just doing something crazy because to worship me is to love one another. And we just don't get this whole broken relationship thing in the kingdom or we don't get this whole, it's not a big deal, God, that I sit and sacrifice my integrity in my workplace. It's not a big deal, God, that I sit and fill my mind with so much stuff. I love Andy Stanley. I will not watch movies that Jesus died for. I heard that when I was 19 years old and I have attempted to live that out since then. And many of us will just sit and fill our lives with stuff that Jesus died for and that's the gospel and I wonder if our actions prove our faith. Thanks. I've been parked there for a while just kind of saying, God, seriously, because here's what, here's, your actions, they don't, they, don't, they don't bring you to salvation, but they are a marking moment to say, God, you have, you have stained my life. I was reading Jay Dennis the other day, and Jay Dennis is doing the coolest thing. He's a pastor down. I think he's in Lakeland. Anybody knows where Jay is can tell me. I think he's in Lakeland. Thank you. I love Church of the Mall, too, and I knew that part. I just couldn't remember where it was. And Jay is down there. I mean, he's got a million men who are just saying, you know what? It is every man's battle 
to fight porn. That's why the book is not called Part of the Men's Battle. It's called Every Man's Battle. The men in the room that say it's not a battle, you have just been able through Christ to withstand, but it's every man's battle. And I love Jay. He's just kind of sitting and saying, we're going to have a million men across this country just pledge together to stand with integrity. That's just a byproduct of the fruit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just a whole slew of men that said, we're going to love Jesus more than that. And I just, I could keep listing. I, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder in the areas of your life where you have huge compromise, the question is, are you going to be better? No, no. The question is, are you going to love Christ more than that? You'll say, God, this, this, is, this is where I'm at. This, this is not going to win me to salvation in you. This isn't going to be where it's about. But God, it's going to prove my faith in you. It's going to be a marker that changes everything. And I, I think a lost world is just desperately looking into the church. I had a sentence and this wasn't, this was, I don't know. I don't know if I can redo this sentence. It was such a powerful thought for me. Maybe the gospel isn't so compelling to the people outside because it is not compelling to us who live it out day in and day out. And I just was, I was sitting and listening last week to a guy talk about the gospel and that just sentence came into my heart and it pierced me. I actually think I may have put it in your notes. Maybe the gospel is not that compelling to people who are outside of the gospel because it's not that compelling to us who are in the side. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying in Colossians 1.23, just in case you're just, you know, a little bit challenged in this moment. I love the cross of Jesus Christ, Paul's saying. I love being justified in Christ. Who doesn't? I mean, which one of you in this room is not going to stand eternally 25,000 years from now and say, thank you, God, for Christ who justified me once and eternally before him so that when I walk off of this planet, I will never die. I mean, how many of us in this room are not just going, we're so thankful that you redeem us, Lord, that you bought us back, that you didn't just mark us, like, but literally you took all of that mess and you covered it in your holiness. And you actually, according to Colossians 1.22, you made us holy, God. Who doesn't love that? I mean, we love that stuff. It's just, how about this? And so, God, if that's all true of us, we're going to respond to this. And we're going to stand and say, it's worth it, God. It is worth the gospel. It is worth consuming us. And the gospel is compelling among us. It just, I mean, it changes everything. Because here's what I would want you to know. Your actions don't produce your salvation. But they sure as... They sure do prove it. James says we can talk about this all day. You can tweet it all you want. You can tell me on Facebook until you social network your fingers to death how much you love God. How about this? Just get off Facebook for a while and go serve somebody. I mean, there's a novel idea. And I'm on Facebook, so don't get all like my dad's already stood up here. Don't demonize that. Just look, don't start telling me about loving God and you don't love your friends. Seriously. Don't, don't talk about all this stuff. Serve people, love people. It's just amazing. It's, your actions don't, they don't bring you salvation, but they sure do produce it. And James, and I'm kind of doing it in a, I didn't finish to James. James was like, don't, don't, you don't have to sit around and listen to what I say. I mean, I love James. The book of James, for those of you that are maybe not preachers up here talking about some guy named James. Who is this James guy? In the book of James in the New Testament, James, the brother of, Christ, of Jesus said, Look, if you want to see my faith, just come follow me around for a while. Because I'm going to walk this thing out. And you'll see this. I think that's what James is saying. He's saying the same thing as Paul. Paul's, Paul's a lot more grace-oriented. James just cut to the chase. So those of you that like to cut to the chase, memorize James. Paul's just like, I love God, I love God, I love God. And oh, by the way, you should endure. James is like, endure. 
Do something. Are you kidding me? Get out there. Live out your faith. Are you kidding? This thing is huge. And your actions, they don't produce your salvation. They prove it. There's the theme verse that I haven't shared with you. I believe, and this is just a pastor speaking. You find your own theme. I believe Colossians, the third chapter, I believe the 23rd verse is the theme verse of the whole book. When he says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as if you're working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know, listen, 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 since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord and it's the Lord you're serving, let's get out and be about this, you know? So whatever we do, however we do this. And so, so I just, I wrote down like, uh, as, as opposed to uh, me sitting around and banging us around, which I've done for now, how we're not enduring. I just thought, let's flip this. How do we endure together? I mean, how, how, do we, how do we press forward the faith together? And, and by no means, I just wrote down four or five thoughts. That I put them in your notes of just ways we can be passionate for Christ and it can happen among us. And, and it should happen among us. I mean, there should be great stories that are going on among us. And I, and I, wrote, I wrote this, I wrote this, um, and, and I didn't finish these in the order that I put them for you, so forgive me. But, but I, just my number one, I mean, if we're, if we're going to endure, as Colossians 1.23 says, and we're going to live this out, and if our... If our faith is not produced by our actions, but it's displayed by them, then we're going to hang out with passionate people. I mean, that's just, that's just going to be what we want to be about. I mean, we, we want to, I mean, literally, I, I want to walk around the room and lock eyes with people who are passionate for Jesus Christ. And I think that's the New Testament church. That's, if you go back to the first series here, that's ordinary. And there's, there just get, there has, there, it goes way outside of this room. In fact, this is the least enjoyable part of Sunday because we're telling stories to each other in the hallway about what God's been doing this week. We're in the atrium going, listen to what happened with my neighbor. It's, it's crazy. You wouldn't believe what, I mean, there's just stories going on. Hang out with passionate people. I, I, I love the um, sentence I've shared with you. I long, Susan and I long to run with people who are running hard after heaven. Just saying, God, we want to be a part of that with those who are saying, this, this is what we're about. The gospel matters. We want to hang out with people like that. Just to say, look, I'm sitting in a room. I'm sitting in a room. It's on Memorial Weekend. We're all ready to go out in the sunshine. It's already hot enough in here. We're actually getting suntan as we sit. And, and I want to sit in a room with a whole bunch of people who love Jesus, you know? Just when we walk into Midwest, we're just walking in going, who's going to high five me today? And, and just tell me a story. Passionate people. My favorite guy in the Bible is Jeremiah. And, and I have a couple of words I think describe a passionate person. Jeremiah was a guy who began his ministry. Wrote some of my favorite verses in all the Bible. I knew you before you were ever in the womb. And in fact, before the foundation of the world, I knew you were going to be placed in your mother's womb. I love that about Jeremiah. I love um, Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a future and a hope. I prayed that over a bunch of graduating four-year-olds this past weekend. Just, God, you've got a future and a hope for them as they walk out of VPK. And, and you have much for them. And it's, it's your goodness and your grace. I, I love Jeremiah. He's passionate. Do you, do, I mean, there's a guy he, who launches his ministry. And here's what he's told. If, this is endurance, by the way. This is passionate people. Here's what he said. Nobody is going to listen. You're going to live in your neighborhood for the rest of your life. And mostly they're going to think you're a wacko for Jesus. And they're not going to listen, but just live him out anyway. I mean, you're going, to, you're going to walk the halls of Mandarin and Creekside and 
Bartram and wherever you go for four years and 90% of that place is not going to believe in Christ. Go flesh him out, please. Jeremiah. It's just, so just so you think you're alone, um, Jeremiah was actually tasked to do that for life at about 17. And he's like, I'm in. And so I love, I love a passionate guy. I just want to read a verse to you that I think is so um, amazing and so sincere. Um, I was able to share at, at Clint's funeral this weekend what I love most about the Bible or this past week is how real it is. If, if you start to just have these moments of questioning, why in the world would they put so much flaw and failure in the Bible if it were not just simply an authentic book about the goodness of God in the middle of a passionate people? And in Jeremiah, the 20th chapter, Jeremiah is just, he's had, I mean, he's been going for 20 chapters. You know, he's been talking to people, living passionately. If you're going to live passionately, let me just kind of share this. You're going to probably go against the grain of most people around us. That's why Jesus said there's like this narrow way it leads to life. And there's this huge way that most everyone else is going, church. It leads to destruction. So you're just asking you to walk the narrow way. And he's just tired of it. Have you, I mean, I don't know if you've been there. And I love Jeremiah. You want to talk about a passionate person in verses 7 and 8. He says, God, you have deceived me. Why? Because Jeremiah has been pelted with rotten fruit. He's been stuck out in the front gate. And, and what is that shackle thing called where you put your heads in and your hand in? What's that called? those things. He's been put in stocks. I mean, he's been pelted with rotten vegetables. He's had his work that he's written shredded on multiple occasions. And it's, I mean, he's just, he's weary. And he says, Lord, you deceived me. You overpowered me, prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Look, everybody's mocking me. This is no fun. Whenever I speak, I cry out, I am proclaiming destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. And I will not mention him, and I am not going to speak any more of his name. I, I love, I love that. That's where Jeremiah is. And it lasts all of about, this is what's my favorite part about passionate people. We do grow weary. We do grow tired. We, drew, we, we, just, we get worn out, but then when you hang out with other passionate people, when you hang out with somebody who's like Jeremiah, who says, I'm going to just keep living, and I'm going to keep living, and I'm tired, God. I'm really tired, and I love his answer, because it took him all about 12 seconds to say, I am not going to speak his name anymore. And then listen to verse, verse 9 and 10. So, look, look. But if I say I won't mention his name or speak it anymore, his word is in my heart. Listen, it's like a fire. It is a fire shut up in my bones. For 10 seconds, he held it in. And then here's his words. I am weary of holding it in. I must proclaim the goodness of the gospel. Oh, that God would have some weary people in this room who have held it in for a long time. Some of you didn't catch that. I am so tired, God. This is so hard. I quit for five seconds, but there is a fire in my soul because the gospel consumes me and I cannot stand not talking about the grace of God and the redeeming work of God. And it wore me out for five seconds to hold it in. I pray that we are a church filled with people who have fire in their bones.
who were just standing and saying, look, I am, I am passionate for this kingdom. I am passionate for the things of God. Because here's what you have to know. Passion or the gospel carries an obligation to its grace and goodness and its message. And listen, listen, your salvation is not hinged on your works, but boy, is it ever proven by them. It's just fleshing this out. I mean, I, just, I want to hang out with passionate people. I want to hang out with passionate people who go for it. I mean, literally, just go for it. Like the running theme around here should be wide-eyed. Seriously, that's what you're doing? Go for it. Who risk. Who just kind of, I mean, this, this, is a, this is how we endure, by the way. And this is number two. I mean, it would be so cool to have just, in fact, in about 10 minutes when I quit, if you're, yeah. 12 minutes when I quit, we're going to have three students up here who are looking at each other saying, we're going for it. It's going to be so awesome. This is a picture of what God is calling us to. Just a room full of people who literally are saying, we're going for it. I want you to go for this. I mean, the Lord said to Jeremiah in 119, they will fight you. Go for it. The task that you have will be challenging. Go for it. Live on the edge, Jeremiah. Go for it. If the task that God is going to call us to, and when we look at each other, and I love this, I can, I can catch eyes with so many people in the room that I've already had conversations. I've only been here seven months. I've had all these cool conversations where I just looked and I said, go for it. And it was just so fun to see what God is doing through some people who have gone for it and just risk great things. And look, if these great things were easier, sure, we wouldn't need to be passionate about them. We wouldn't have to be. If they were no risk, we wouldn't live with this. Look, I don't think that this God who knew you before the foundation of the world, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who ordained your days, who knew that you were purposed here on this earth, I don't think that God said, I think I'm going to do all that for him. I'm going to think I'm going to do all that for her so they can be the best television watching people on the planet. I don't think that's what he made us for. I think he made us for more than this. He made us to be a group of people who sit among one another and say, we're enduring, we're going for it. I mean, this gospel, we're talking in this gospel not about casual things or small things. We're talking about dominions and powers, strongholds of sin. That's what we're stepping into. We're talking yesterday with a group of 10 of us who are sitting in in classes hoping to step into the lives of some children who are currently father and mother left. And we're stepping into their lives and changing generations. It's not easy and it will not be risk free. And wow, are they powering that in our lives? And yet, a lot of us in that room are just looking at each other going, We're going for it. Risking. I'm just, I'm just wondering, I'm wondering, I'm wondering, I'm wondering. Because if we're going to be a church full of passionate people who are enduring to the end because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are you going for right now? Is this one thing to say, oh, I just going to be a church? I'm just, Going for the beach, suffering, which I really am. Praise God. What, what's big, God? What's burning in my heart? What's what's going on? I want to be around. Good gravy. What did you guys do with the time? Go for it. Um, I, I I love my dad. I have the best dad on the planet. Since I was a, I mean, he, since I was a kid, he would look at me and say, "Go for it." I mean, my dad is that wild-eyed guy. He's, the, he's 72 right now, and he's still insane. Like, it's driving him crazy. He had his hip replaced two weeks ago. My mom is, like, texting me every day, can you do something with your dad? Can you, like, stop him? I'm, like, writing him notes. Mom has the right to hit you in the head, you know? It's your 
you're killing mom. Stop going for it. Because he's out going like, Mark, there's, if you follow him on Facebook, he's like writing stuff. Please tell Peggy to get off my back. There are dominions of darkness that need to be pushed back. That's my dad. Like, I don't have time for this hip thing. We're just going to go on a walker and make it happen. That's where we're at. He's just always been this go-for-it guy. You know, I love my dad. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this sermon next week. I'll, I'll just end here. How about this? I love my dad. And, and um, I can't end here. I got two stories. I, I love my dad. I love this go-for-it mentality. I, I, I love my father because he's like standing in. He calls me at 62. Now, here's the way my father typically calls me. Because go-for-it people aren't always just super intense, no fun. My dad always... Practically 80% of the time starts telling me a joke. Not, there's no, hey, son, or what's going on? It's like the first line of the joke. And then by the time we get to the end, we're both rolling laughing. And then he has something cool to tell me. So he calls me it was 10 years ago. And he says, um, son, sound like Colonel Dan. And he does. You know, son, can you sit down for a moment? I'm like, oh, my gosh, mom's passed away. What's going on? This is not good. Can you? I need you to, I just need you to sit down. Hey, Dad, what is it? And he's like, yeah, listen, your mom and I are praying. Like, all right, that's not normal. He said, we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to go and we're going to go live in a fifth wheel, which is, you know, the add-on to your truck. We're going we're gonna to kind of pack our stuff. We're 62. We're going to go live in a fifth wheel in Miami and see if we can't get about 200 ethnic groups to cooperate for the gospel. And we're going to see if we can't write this thing. This really weird, squishy thing that's going to work in a lot of big cities. And see if we can't bring denominations of all types and colors of all type together for the gospel. And I'm just sitting there going, okay, I'm waiting for like what you wanted me to sit down about. You know, This is normal for you, Dad. But I love it. I just got to look at him and say, go for it. And he did. He spent the last 10 years there and then retired last year. He retired for a solid seven hours. Moved to Indianapolis. They're like pushing him out there. They lived here for 20 years. Five grandkids are now here. I'm like, I'm calling them every day. I miss you. Please come. We're at the Suns game. You could sit with us. He's like, yeah, but there's darkness to push back, son. You know, go for it. It's not without risk. I love, I love, and I'm, I may be off on this, but I love up in the balcony, Kim Carr and Brent Stake and the group of people who just 10, 12 years ago went for it. You know, they just were walking around the city and, I mean, this is how it happens. So you can just wonder, like, I don't, Mark, I don't know what's big. I don't know. Just join God at work. Here's just the thought. Join God at work because he's always at work around you. And so Kim's just strolling around the city, and there's all these people speaking foreign languages. And so something strikes in her heart that maybe they ought to learn how to acclimate here. And so the ILC was born. And I stood in a banquet this past week, and this is a crazy town. If you want to talk about risk, just hang out there for a while. Craziness. I met, I met a couple of guys who were like, go for it, people, passionate people. Like, I, I called Rick. Is Rick Wheeler in the room? I saw Camille. Hey, Rick, is, is he Kip at Skipping Church? Because that's, he's, he's like doing missional stuff and going for it. I called Rick when I left. I should have called you, Kim, but I called Rick and I said, I am so tired of being a pansy. And so I, I want to be like, no more pansy. I'm over being a pansy. 
um, my faith is such a pansy faith. I'm such a wimp about everything. You know, I'm crying about stuff all the time. Oh, I wish we could do that. I wish we could do this. We have resources for that. Look, look, I'm standing with a pastor who's been beaten to the point of his life. And this isn't like Paul in Scripture. This is a pastor who's been beaten for his faith, who's working in Middle Eastern countries, and who in this city has planted 80 churches among people in the Middle East. Well, they're not in the Middle East. They're here. And he's just telling stories. I'm, I'm sitting beside, I'm sitting like literally beside a guy who I've fallen in love with. His name is Indra. I told you about him. Indra, I went to his ordination a few weeks ago. Indra planted churches in a refugee camp. Five churches while they were being bitten by cobras and stuff. And had elephant stampedes. And while they're doing that, they're kind of going, we've got a few things against us, but we're going to plant five churches around the refugee camp since this is where God has us. So we're going to do that. And then somehow he was placed in a plane, and the first person he met was a pastor at San Jose Baptist. If you didn't go here, I'd say go there because he's just such an amazing heart. Mike Reed just hung out and met him at the airport. And and since then they formed a relationship. And now um, I think I can say this people group that among, I won't say this people group, but among his people group, there's like a hundred who have come to faith. And they meet every week. And he's just already now talking about it. But here's the part that I just, I was like, I'm such a pansy. Because, I mean, I'm just talking to him. This brother, I mean, this, you know, this pastor, 17 years in refugee camp, he's like going to Southern Seminary full-time, God bless his soul, learning English while he goes to seminary full-time, pastoring a church of 100 and meeting with them in their houses every night. And then, oh, by the way, he cleans, I believe it's Inglewood High School all day so that he can then go pastor. I'm sitting there going, I like, I don't know where you're at, I like to hang out with people like that. And here's what I'm thinking. I left the ILC just thinking, I stink. Like, I am such a, I am, oh. And then I put my heart made it turn to God, 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 God. I want to be so passionate for your kingdom. Just whatever. And, and, and this is my thought, and this is my any thought. Isn't, is my any thought. Isn't that what should happen among us every Sunday? We just walk out all these stories happening around here. And if the stories of the gospel is that they aren't happening around here, shouldn't we be asking why? And shouldn't that be incredibly personal to each of us? Like, if the gospel is not alive among us and this redeeming work of Jesus, this justifying work of Jesus, this I don't have accusation work of Jesus, this freedom of Jesus, if it's not moving us to say the gospel is worth everything, then what would? I mean, what is? Finish the voice tonight. Who's going to win? I don't know. And what is, what's going to move you? Seriously? I mean, that, and, and I've, I've watched shows, so don't feel guilty on this. Just, what is it? I mean, there's a gospel among this church, and we should be looking going, we're a bunch of passionate people who look at each other and look at each other. And here's what we, you should go for that. Here's what, I, here's what I know. I just, I just, here's all. I don't know what to do except read the Bible and say, praise you, God. 
Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death and he presents you holy in his sight. You don't have blemish or no accusation. And here's what's going to happen. Indeed, inasmuch as if you, because of all that, you're going to continue in your faith, you're going to be established and firm. You're not going to be moved from the hope held out of the gospel. It is the gospel that you have heard. It's been proclaimed to you. Every creature under heaven has heard it. And you, you and I, along with Paul, have become servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for that privilege. Forget this. It is not your work that brings you into the moment of salvation. It is the proof of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ among his church. Praise you, Lord God Almighty. Thank you, Father. For a group of people who can live with passion and conviction for who you are. God, I pray that you will just step into this moment as we respond to you and respond to the gospel. That God, you would just let us um, go for it. Move our lives toward you. God, I pray in some of us, moving our lives toward you is to move our lives away from. To repent from. And so, Father, I pray for repentance and brokenness across this room. I pray for a holy healing across this room. I pray that Jesus will be evident among us. God, I pray that you will just continue to raise up and raise up and raise up a group of passionate people. God, I pray that you will just take away the pansy streak that so dominates my soul and move in my heart to have me have a holy boldness for your gospel. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and we hope and we are deeply glad. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hey, it's Memorial Day. It is a great day to move on to other things, but not yet. This is a moment in time for us to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to sing and we want you to come. Ryan's going to come here right in the middle. And if you want to come and speak to him, that would be great. If you want to come and